Our um, passage this morning that Tom is going to be preaching on will be Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 11 through Jeremiah 4, verse 2. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your favors to the strangers under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord, for I am a master to you, and I will take you one from a, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. It shall be in those days when you are multiplied and increased in the land, declares the Lord. They shall say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And it shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they miss it, nor shall it be made again. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will be gathered to it, to Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord. Nor shall they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil heart. In those days the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together from the land of the north, to the land that I give your fathers as an inheritance. Then I said, How I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of nations. And I said, You shall call me my father and not turn away from following me. Surely as a woman treacherously departs from her lover, so you have dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. A voice is heard on the bare heights, the weeping and the supplications of the sons of Israel, because they have perverted their way, they have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. Behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Surely the hills are a deception, a tumult on the mountains. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. But the shameful thing has consumed the labor of our fathers since our youth, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. Let us lie down in our shame and let our humiliation cover us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth even to this day, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. If you will return, O Israel, declares the Lord, then you should return to me. And if you will put away your detested things from my presence and will not waver, and you will swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then the nations will bless themselves in him and in him that they will glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would give us tender hearts and that we would always be repentant toward you and that we would walk in faithfulness and holiness 
always before you. We pray now, Father, that you will be with Tom, that you will, uh, that your Holy Spirit will speak through him and that he will bring the word in clarity and, and faithfulness. And Father, may we know you more and may we have hearts that are obedient to obey and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. In the, uh, the passages leading up to this one, we've seen God's commission of Jeremiah. And then we've seen God's case against his people, Israel and Judah. First Israel, and then in, in uh, chapter 2, uh, actually at the beginning of chapter 3, he said that uh, treacherous Judah has exceeded the sins of faithless Israel. So they, they both had gone away into terrible infidelity against God, those whom God called his own people. In this morning's passage, God presents a command and a promise. And we're still going kind of verse by verse because these are very foundational chapters at the beginning of Jeremiah. That We're going to see the themes in these chapters throughout the book, and we'll look at many of them on a thematic basis later. But here we see a, a command and a promise. God tells Israel first what they must do to be restored to him and then what he will do if they do what he is commanding. God's repeated command to Israel and Judah in this passage is captured in a single single Hebrew word that shows up five times in these verses. That word, uh, and most of you don't care what the Hebrew is, but it's the word shuv, and it has uh, an essential meaning of return. Now, it's very often translated repent. Uh, many, many of the translations, in fact, will translate some of these, in some of the verses you've just seen with the word repent. Repent is, a, is an exceedingly good word and a very important word throughout the Bible, but it's a word that needs to be defined on God's terms. Let me ask you, have any of you here ever struggled with understanding what repentance actually means? I know I have. This passage clears that up in large measure. In the minds of many, the English word repent has a little baggage. It has carried over some of the idea of doing penance from the Roman Catholic understanding. And and that notion is that repentance has to do with sort of giving something to God that will restore a person to forgiveness and fellowship with God. But the biblical term that's used here has absolutely no connotation of repayment. It's not about paying something back to God so that you will be restored by God. The word that's used five times in this passage throughout the Old Testament when it speaks of a man doing something that is toward God, the word means return. It means return. And in other contexts, or in sometimes even in the same verses, when it speaks of, of something that is done toward any other object than God, it can mean to turn away. But when it's man toward God, it's to turn toward God, to return to God. It occurs with both those meanings in Ezekiel 14, verse 6. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, return. And then the very next 
phrase, this next sentence, there are two uses of the same word. Turn from your idols and turn your faces away from your abominations. God is saying, return to me and turn away from everything else. Stanley Toussaint, who was one of my Bible exposition profs at Dallas Seminary, defined biblical repentance in this way. He said it is turning away from whatever is keeping you from trusting in God alone to trusting in God alone. And so the, on the turning away side, there may be a whole bunch of different things that people have to, have to walk away from, have to turn their face away from in order to turn their face to God, in order to return to God alone. And I believe that that definition holds up very well throughout Scripture. Starting in verse 11 of Jeremiah chapter 3, God presents three declarations. And each of these three sets of statements or declarations has the same three parts. So we're going to see these parts three times over in the same sequence. First, an accusation of faithlessness. Then a command to return to God. And then third, a promise of gracious restoration. On the first cycle of this declaration, in verse 11, God says, Faithless Israel has proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Now that's a kind of an encapsulation of a bunch of stuff that's come just before it. But he's simply declaring the faithlessness of his people. And then, is a command to return to God. Return faithless Israel, declares Yahweh. And then there is a promise of gracious restoration. Return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. That theme of God's anger not being applied to people who deserved it, especially to His own covenant people, occurs over and over in the Scriptures. I'm going to give you just a couple of examples. Micah chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of His possession? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in unchanging love. And the word there is hesed. It is steadfast covenant love. That word is all over the book of Jeremiah. He delights in steadfast covenant love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love, steadfast covenant love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. Those are the final verses of the book of Micah. Psalm 103, verses 8 to 12. Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. That's drawn straight out of Exodus 34, verse 6, when Moses said, God, show me your glory. And God, God's visible glory passed by and God hid that glory from Moses. But the glory that Moses actually got to, got to behold that day was the proclamation of God's character. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. The psalm goes on, He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. 
He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His chesed, His steadfast covenant love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He separated our sins from us, our transgressions. Throughout Jeremiah, throughout the Old Testament, what is the one and only ground upon which God's fierce anger is not applied to those who deserve it? The answer is God's character. God's character. The event that secures the removal of His anger for us, of course, is the, is the cross of Christ. But that which prevents Him from pouring out His anger upon us and that caused Him to send His Son to die in our place is not what we are like, but what He is like. The introductory remarks for Psalm 51, which many of you know, say that uh, it is a Psalm of David written after God's faithful prophet Nathan convicted David of... Stealing a man's wife, and the man happened to be one of his most valiant warriors, Uriah. And then of conspiring to see to it that Uriah was killed in the field of battle so that David could try to hide his sin, which didn't work out because God sees everything. Once he was convicted, here's what David said to God. Listen very carefully. He said, be gracious to me, O God, according to your Steadfast covenant love. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Is there any component in that prayer of David saying to God, God, forgive me because I have mended my ways? No. Is there any component of David saying to God, God, forgive me because I have, I have turned back to you? No. He says, forgive me because of who you are. You're the God who forgives and restores sinners. You are the God of steadfast Covenant love. In the second declaration, again in verse 13, we start with an accusation of faithlessness. God says in verse 13, Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against Yahweh your God. You have scattered your favors to strangers under every green tree. And you have not obeyed My voice, declares Yahweh. And then He says, Return, O faithless Sons, declares Yahweh. And then in verses 14 to 19 is a promise of gracious restoration. But this time it's not short. First time it was short. He said, he said, he said I will not pour out my anger on you for I am gracious. Now he gives a list of gracious things that he's going to do for Israel and Judah. And let's walk through that list. First, he says he will bring them into his holy city. 
in chapter chapter 3 and verses verse 14 he says return o faithless sons for i am a master to you and i will take you one from a city and two from a family and i will bring you to zion all who return to him he will bring into his holy city now we've seen when we went through the the series on the gospel of christ in the old testament we saw that that zion is the place that god declares to be his throne his the place from which his Messiah will reign over all the peoples of the earth in perfect righteousness and perfect justice forever. Zion is Jerusalem, but it's not the Jerusalem that we know. He's talking about a redeemed Jerusalem that is yet to come. Everyone who returns to God, God will bring into His holy city. And the significance of that place, the point of the place is the presence of God Himself dwelling in the midst of His people. We've said before, that's the central promise of the whole Bible. I will be their God, they will be my people, and I myself will dwell in their midst forever. God will bring them, all who return to Him, to His holy city. He will give them leaders who lead the way He leads. He says in verse 15, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on on knowledge and understanding. Every word of, that proceeds from the mouth of God, that's our necessary food. And he's saying, I'll give you shepherds who tell you what I've told you, who nurture you in the things that are true. In the first two chapters of Jeremiah, God issued an, a condemning indictment against, against the shepherds that existed at that time in, in Israel and Judah, the leaders. He told Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 18, that along with the people, the kings, the princes, And the priests would fight against Jeremiah, against God's holy prophet, God's God's faithful prophet. In chapter 2, verse 8, God accused four categories of men, leaders in Israel, of walking after things that do not profit. The priests, those who handle the law, which is a subset of the priests, the rulers, and the prophets. Throughout the Old Testament, God calls all those categories of men shepherds. God wasn't saying there were no good shepherds in Israel or Judah. Jeremiah was a marvelous example of a very faithful shepherd of God. But he was saying that far more of the leaders and rulers and prophets and priests that he had put in place had stood against him than had stood with him. But the day is coming when all of those who lead God's people on God's behalf will be shepherds after God's own heart that's a beautiful promise each of these themes is going to come up again in the book of jeremiah and that's one that will be it will be a big deal later third god will be there in zion reigning he will be there in the midst of his people we already mentioned this but it's really fascinating what what god says through jeremiah in verse 16 it says it shall be in those days when you are multiplied and increased in the land declares Yahweh, they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And it shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they miss it, nor shall it be made again. Now why is that? The next verse, at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of Yahweh. 
You know what the ark, the significance of the ark was? It was the footstool of Yahweh. It was the picture of the footstool of, of Almighty God dwelling in the midst of His people. The Shekinah glory dwelled above the ark. God didn't sit. People say it's the seat of God. No, it's not the seat. It's not the throne of God. It's the footstool of God. His glory dwelled above it. But that was a picture. It wasn't the real deal. Solomon said, neither heaven nor the highest heavens can contain thee, Father, much less this house which I have built for your name. It was a picture. This is talking about the reality. God will put His sanctuary in the midst of His people. Ezekiel 37. Many, many passages say this. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of Yahweh. So we won't have need of the pictures. All the nations will be gathered to the land that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the city of Jerusalem. Verse 17, At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of Yahweh, and all the nations will be gathered to it for the name of the Lord in Jerusalem nor shall they walk any more after the stubbornness of their own hearts. The great draw that will bring people from all nations into this glorious, redeemed city will not be streets of gold. It will be the presence of God. It will be Yahweh Himself. It will be His, right, right in the verse, it will be His name. His holy name that, that causes everyone to gather there. Even the pagan nations that have had nothing to do with God throughout their entire histories will no longer walk after the stubbornness of their evil heart. Instead, they'll delight in the name of Yahweh. Another great promise that God gives here is that God's people will no longer be divided. Verse 18, he says, in those days, the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel and they will come together from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers as an inheritance. In Ezekiel 37, he talks about these a picture of two sticks. One, Jacob, one that represents the, the northern tribes that descended from Jacob. The other is Judah, the southern tribes that descended from Jacob. And they've been divided for so long. And he puts the two sticks together and makes them one and says, you'll have one shepherd who will rule over you. My servant David. And he's talking about Jesus. God's people will be united, not divided. The enmity that is divided, not just Israel from Gentiles, but Israelites from Israelites for so very long will, will be gone. That glorious unity, of course, is already being realized in God's church. Male and female, slave and free man, Jew and Gentile, doesn't matter. We are all one in Christ. There are many things that are true about the church that will abide into eternity, and we get to see them played out right here. Promises like these. They're, they're, we are grafted into these promises. The very essence, oh, and then last, all who return to God will be His sons and will call Him My Father. This is in the second part of verse 19. It said, You will call Me My Father and you will not turn away from following Me. They will follow God because they will 
love God. They will know God. They will behold Him rightly. Their hearts will be right before God and they will call Him my Father and they will follow Him. The very essence of all these great covenant promises is that central promise of relationship between God and His people. That last part of verse 19 is, again, it is the heart of godliness. You shall call me my Father and not turn away from following me. God will restore us to faithfulness by restoring us to relationship with Him. In the third declaration, we find out how He's going to do that. Again, we have three parts. First, an accusation of faithlessness. In verses 20 and 21, he says, Surely as a woman treacherously departs from her lover, so you have dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, declares Yahweh. A voice is heard on the bare heights, the weeping and the supplication of the sons of Israel, because they have perverted their way, they have forgotten Yahweh their God. So again, he, he declares their faithlessness. And then once again, He gives the same essential command. Return, O faithless sons. He keeps saying, return, you faithless people. And then comes the promise. And it's very concise here as it was in the first round. Return, O faithless sons. I will heal your faithlessness. I will heal your faithlessness. So so what will make Faithless Israel and treacherous Judah, faithful to God. God will. Grace will. God will heal their faithlessness and make them faithful. This is a pervasive promise in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not a system of merit. It's not a system of works. Grace is not a dispensation. Grace is an attribute of the character of God. And grace is the only way that men in any age have ever come to be right in the eyes of God and accepted in the eyes of God. It is only because of His steadfast covenant love. It is only because He is a gracious God that anybody, any sinful man or woman or child, and that includes all of us, will ever stand in His presence. I will heal your faithlessness. So up to this point in a passage that's all about godly repentance, is the emphasis on us changing our behavior or is it on us coming to God so that He may change our behavior? It's the second, if you haven't noticed. The focus here over and over and over, God is saying, you faithless ones, Return to me and I will make you faithful. There's no question, beloved, that God demands godly behavior from His people. But how does that happen? How do we come to have godly lives and to do godly things? We turn away from whatever it is that we're trusting in and depending upon and we turn to God alone and we trust and depend on Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. For by His doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
If you're a believer, why are you righteous in the eyes of God? Because Christ is righteous. And it's His righteousness that covers you. God has to do it all. It's not our doing, it's His doing. Isaiah, this is beautiful, Isaiah 30, verse 15. I'd seen this before, but it never really registered until this week. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, listen, in returning and rest, you will be saved. In returning and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. And then he says, Israel, but you were unwilling. You were unwilling to trust me. You were unwilling to come to me so that I could transform you. You were unwilling to come and rest in me. The reason that we struggle and and falter when it comes to entering into the Sabbath rest that is our birthright as children of God is because we're still trying to do we're still trying to do something ourselves to make us self make ourselves right in the eyes of God, to make things work between us and God. And we can't do that. Only God can do that. The fourth declaration is is amazing because of its deviation. I said there were three. There's a fourth, but it's it's very different. The fourth one doesn't start with an accusation of faithlessness. It starts with a confession of faithlessness. This time it isn't God telling Israel and Judah how faithless they are. It's Israel and Judah declaring how faithless they are. These verses, uh, in verses 22b to 25, I believe, some, some have said that they are a, um, they are a disingenuous statement of repentance. No, I don't think that's what it is at all. I think this is God saying to Israel and Judah, here's what repentance looks like. Here's what the heart of repentance will say to me. When you return to me, this is what you'll say. Behold, we come to you, for you are Yahweh our God. Now look at how that starts. God says, return to me. And this declaration of repentance says, behold, we come to you, because you are Yahweh our God. Surely the hills are a deception, a tumult on the mountains. That's talking about the the high places on which Israel and Judah sacrificed to all kinds of false gods. They're saying, that's not where our salvation is. That's just noise on the mountains. Surely in Yahweh our God, our God is the salvation of Israel. See, it's about coming to Him. He's the Savior. He is the Savior. But the shameful thing has consumed the labor of our fathers since our youth. That's talking about their idolatry. It's consumed their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. At the end of all this, Judah was sacrificing their children to false gods. Let us lie down in our shame and let our humiliation cover us, for we have sinned against Yahweh our God. We and our fathers from our youth even to this day, and we have not obeyed the voice of Yahweh. Our God. This is a marvelous picture, a marvelous snapshot of what repentance actually looks like. The other Hebrew word that's often translated repent in the Old Testament is naham, and it means to be sorry. It doesn't mean to fix your sin. It means to be sorry. 
And it's what happens when God humbles us before Him and brings us to this. He brings us to sorrow and to returning. It's not us making a deal with God. It's not a transaction. It's not a promise that we make to God. It is us falling on our faces before a holy God and saying we are unholy. And we're sinful. And we can't fix it. And then the next part of uh, this fourth declaration is God tells them to whom they must return. And this is, this is really an amazing statement. That's kind of my translation of chapter 4, uh, verse 1a. If you will return, O Israel, declares Yahweh, to me you will return. If you will return, to me you will return. I think God is simply spelling out for them what the re- kind of return he's talking about. He's talking about a relational return. He's not talking about a transaction. He's talking about coming to him, coming to him, not to anyone else. There may be many things you have to turn your face away from to turn your face to God, but the heart of repentance is turning your face to God. The second if clause in chapter 4, verse 1 goes beyond the return to God that was commanded in each of the previous declarations. Now God reveals what will happen if Israel and Judah return to faithful behavior on the part, if they return to faithful behavior, he's saying, he's, he's telling them what the fruit of returning is. He says, if you will put away your detested things from my presence and will not waver, and you will swear as Yahweh lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then the nations will be, will bless themselves in him and they will, and in him they will glory. Now this is, this is beautiful. What God is saying, he's saying, okay, Return to me, I will heal your faithlessness, and you'll be faithful. And when you are faithful, here's what's going to happen. The nations will come to me. When my people return to me, and I bring them to faithfulness toward me, I'm going to use them to bring in the nations. And the nations will come and they will bless themselves in Yahweh, and in Him they will glory. See, what he's describing here is faithful behavior. Swearing as the Lord lives in truth, justice, and righteousness. He's talking about faithfulness played out. This is, this is great because this is the fulfillment of God's initial call to Israel. In Exodus 19, just before the giving of the Ten Commandments, what did God say Israel would be to him? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Not a kingdom with priests, a kingdom of priests. See, Israel was supposed to be the people who would mediate the knowledge of God to the whole world. And they didn't do that. They hoarded the knowledge of God. They said, we have the temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood and we're good with God and we don't care about everybody else. Jonah's the, he's the, the poster child for that view. Right, Bob? <laughs> God says, return to me, I'll make you faithful, and I will use you to bring in the nations, people from every tribe and tongue and people. I don't know, I don't know how to explain all this, but in Revelation chapter 7, there's this marvelous sequence where God withholds these four angels who are about to, to just pour out 
catastrophic judgment on the world until all those who belong to him are stamped on their foreheads. And then he specifically calls out 144,000, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. And what's the next thing in the chapter? John beholds myriad upon myriad from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who have had their robes washed white in the blood of the Lamb and they are standing in the presence of God. You know why I think the the myriad upon myriad follows the calling out of the 144,000? I think it's this. I think it's about God using a redeemed Israel and Judah to save many Gentiles and His redeemed church. He uses those whom He has already saved as His instrument to save many, many more. That's why we're still here. That's why He didn't take us immediately when He saved us. All right. A few things I want to just kind of glean here about repentance. Repentant sinners return to God confessing, agreeing with God about the wretchedness of their sin. We saw a beautiful declaration of confession in this passage. Repentant sinners return to God in absolute, utter dependence on Him to change our hearts and our behavior. He has to be the one who makes us faithful. Repentant sinners return to God with confidence in His gracious character, not with uncertainty that we will receive grace from Him, but knowing that He delights in making all things new. We're going to see... We're going to see God later in this marvelous book of Jeremiah tell us what what He does with His whole heart and His whole soul. And it's all about deliverance and redemption and making new. God wants every lost sinner who comes to Him, who turns to Him, to know that He is a gracious God who saves. He does not withhold His salvation. Jesus said, John 6, Whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. He also said, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Hebrews chapter 10, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. That doesn't mean full assurance that our faith is good enough. It means the full assurance in the promise of God that comes when we trust Him, when we believe Him, when we have faith in Him. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's what God does when people return to Him. God promises to, to restore, renew, and lavishly bless all who return to Him. And He wants us to know that. He wants us to, he wants us to proclaim that. And He wants us to be confident about that. We don't have a God who is meager to save. We got, have a God who is mighty to save. This is not, repentance is not about, uh, God saying, okay, if you return and work really hard to be good, you'll be saved. And what does God demand to see in us that He might forgive us and restore us? Does He say, fix your faithlessness and then you can come back to Me? Now, I'm, this is where it gets interesting because there are places where He says exactly that. He says, fix your faithless, faithlessness and then you can come back to Me. But the only reason He does that is so He can prove to us that we're not able to do it. 
Isn't that the whole purpose of the law? According to Paul in Galatians, it's a tutor, a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The effort that we exert at law-keeping, at making ourselves good enough to God, is supposed to, it's supposed to break us of every notion that we can make ourselves good enough for God so that we will come on our knees to the only Savior that exists and trust in Him. There are many proclamations even in this same book in which God says, fix your faithlessness. But what we see here this morning, this is, this is Him laying out for us where this is headed. This is like a preview chapter. He's saying, this is how this, all this faithlessness actually gets fixed. I do it. Prophetic books of the Old Testament and all the books of the Old Testament are filled with God's requirement of holiness. Leviticus 19.11, you shall be holy for I, Yahweh your God, am holy. Matthew 5.48, Jesus said, this is New Testament, therefore you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that's at the end of a chapter that's all about what kind of righteousness passes muster with God. You must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. God doesn't grade on the curve. The holiness that God requires of all who will dwell in His presence is His holiness. Just a couple of verses later in chapter 4 of Jeremiah, God will say to Judah, circumcise yourselves to Yahweh and remove the foreskins of your heart. In chapter 14, verse 4, He'll say, wash your heart from evil, O Jerusalem, that you may be saved. But He declares these things to these same people through His prophet over and over telling them to cleanse themselves so that they will fail to do so. And then He tells them over and over that they have failed to do so. He says the refining goes on, but there's nothing refined. He commands us to cleanse ourselves to show us that we can't, that God must transform our hearts. You'll never make sense of all of the commands and promises in a book like Jeremiah if you don't get this. But you'll find... Both of these, you'll find both of these commands in Jeremiah and in many other books. God has always known that one is possible and, and one is not. Here's the first. Change your hearts and your behavior that you may come to me. Here's the second. Come to me and I will change your hearts and your behavior because you can't and you won't. Both are presented in the Bible. The first is supposed to bring us to the second. So he says, return to me, faithless sons, and I will heal your faithlessness. To the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, to him faith is reckoned as righteousness. Romans 4, verses 4 and 5. Repentance is not us changing us. It's us coming to God so that God will change us. Ezekiel 36, read that sometime. That's the new covenant in the Old Testament. It's all about this, what we just talked about. When we turn our face to God and we fall upon our knees, fall at His mercy, He lavishes His mercy upon us and He transforms us and He brings us to faithfulness and He uses us to draw others into His eternal family. In Psalm 51, David cries out to God to be gracious to him, to wash him from his sins, and to restore him. And the 
only ground and basis of that plea is God's steadfast covenant love and compassion. And then he says, God, when you do that, when you create a new heart in me and renew a steadfast spirit in me, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. That's what God wants to do with you. That's what He wants to do with me. Godly repentance is turning our faces away from anything that keeps us from trusting in and depending on God alone so that we may trust in and depend on God alone. Dear Father, I praise You for the power of Your Word. I praise You for the faithfulness that You worked into Your prophets like Jeremiah that they would be useful to You to to bring these things before Your covenant people and before the world. And now You say to us, You're My people. You're my, My prophet, My church. And I want to use You to do the same. So Father, we say to You, heal our faithlessness and make us vessels of honor mightily useful to you. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.